Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Near and Queer to My Heart. I'm your host, Amanda G. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. I'm here to guide you on this episode's journey, as I am every episode. I'm also here to just guide you on a journey, because I like to guide people on journeys or destinations, or if you have a problem that needs solving, I am unqualified for most things, and I love to give advice, so let's do this, right? For me, I don't mind taking people on journeys. Where do you want to go? What do you want to see? What do you want to know? What problems can we solve for you? We'll go because for me, every journey is going to end with some vodka, so it's going to be worth it. Sometimes it is just about the destination, guys. That's some life advice for you. I'm coming to you. I'm giving life advice because I'm coming to you from Delray Beach, Florida. I uh, usually am in New Orleans, but I'm out visiting my mom who's retired. Awesome retired teacher, public school teacher for over 30 years. Kudos to her for being retired. I can't wait. This is a sneak peek at retired life. It is a true story that we did eat dinner at 5 p.m. yesterday. That is true. The sun was shining very brightly. I didn't think I was ready for dinner. I thought, hey, this is a little early. But look, when in Florida, do as the Floridians do. And we had a three-course meal at Ruby Tuesday. What a deal at $12.99. No, it actually was a good deal. I'm not going to shit on that. But uh, we got there, and we weren't the only people there. So it's like dig in and embrace. And I had my three-course meal. It was a salad bar. It was a cheeseburger. It was a key lime cake, not pie, which they clarified for me. I guess there's a difference. I don't know. And uh, then we went about our day, and I actually felt pretty good about it. I had a, a base. Usually my base is two glasses of vodka or two glasses of wine, and then I make food decisions. So, you know, this was a lot better for me. It's still... it. It did feel weird, though. Like, it was still bright when we left the restaurant, and that uh, didn't seem right, but nobody else seemed to blink an eye, so I, you know, let it slide. Uh, Then we went to uh, Scrabble Club, because my mom and her husband are competitive Scrabble players. Everyone always tells me, when I tell them now, my mom plays Scrabble competitively. That's so cool. I don't see that necessarily, but I guess I, you know, grew up with that, studying words and playing words and that stuff doesn't seem cool, but it's very popular. It's all over the world, so maybe I'm wrong on it. I don't know. I played a few games. I uh, won one of three. Not so bad for a first-timer at the competitive club. I did get mansplained Scrabble, though. This older gentleman, very nice, but he wanted to, you know, teach me everything he knew about Scrabble, which was fine. It was fine, so now I know what to look forward to in retirement, early dinners and instructions about Scrabble that I already know. It's weird being here, you know? It does make you feel older, like my mom has cable TV, which is awesome. 
that reminds me of being a kid because I don't have cable TV anymore. And, you know, I'm flipping through the channels and A League of Their Own comes on. One of my favorite movies. Now on AMC, which is for classic movies because that's where movies that I grew up with uh, belong now. And then I go on Facebook and someone has a post on Facebook telling me how many years old this movie is. Oh, Remember 26 years ago when A League of Their Own came out? Yes, I do, because I was actually there. And I do remember. I actually remember very clearly, because, you know, this was one of those movies that later on, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's why I now host a podcast called Near and Queer to My Heart. Because that movie is Near and Queer to My Heart. I saw it. I was in upstate New York, and I was at this really old movie theater. I remember it was, like, all wood-paneled, which was really weird. And you could smoke in there because it smelled like smoke. And I remember my mom complaining about it. And I just didn't know because I was a kid. But I just saw this movie with these women who played baseball. Not softball. They were playing freaking baseball. And I loved it. And it was Madonna, total gay icon. Gina Davis, who was fucking awesome. Like, everybody. Like, Lori Petty, Rosie O'Donnell. I mean, it's just, like, this gay mecca and I love it so much and seeing it on TV made me very happy but the reminders on Facebook that it's uh over two decades old did not make me happy the other thing on Facebook that didn't make me happy is I actually had you know Facebook every day you go on and it tells you like oh want to see your memories and I always do because I'm sappy and I go to my memories and there's a memory of a memory so if I share this it was a post from um, I think 2010, it was my friend Janine, and she was just like, hi, nice to meet you. It was like right after the first night we met at some Jewish mixer, and she posts like, hey, nice to meet you. And then five years later, I reposted that, and I was like, hey, remember when we met? Cool. And then now three years later, I'm getting a reminder that three years ago, I made a post that five years ago I met her, and I'm just like, I don't need this. I don't need this. Facebook, don't remind me that I'm old. So thank you so much for tuning into our show. We're about to get started with the interview. Uh, this week we interview Shep Kelly. Shep is amazing. Shep's part of Black Girl Giggle. She was just in New Orleans for their festival. Uh, that's where I caught up with her. She's done the Greetings from Queer Mountain show in New Orleans. She's performed all over the country. She's traveled all over the world. She's amazing. She always has such great stories, and I'm so excited that she was able to have some time to sit down with us and and really talk about everything. Now, before we get started, I'm going to do this shameless promo because I don't do it, and I'm told I need to be better at it. But if you like the podcast, if you're listening to it, if you enjoy it, and you're on iTunes or somewhere where you can like it or review it, give us some likes, give us some reviews, because apparently that helps us get out there to everybody. So I'm told to be better at it. I'm going to ask you if you can help me out with that. I appreciate it. Let's get to the episode. Let's get to Shep Kelly. Shep came in town for the Black Girl Giggles Festival, which I'll have you tell everyone more about. But I saw Shep like outside a show, and I was like, you got to come over and do the, the podcast. And Shep's like, yep. I'm with it. Yeah, no, the Black Girl Giggles Comedy Festival is amazing. Let me just say... I mean, I am not, like, a New Orleans native. I was a transplant, but, like, I feel like I should have been a New Orleans native. Like, this set, this city attached to me like a, no other city, even my hometown. But Black Girl Giggles Comedy Festival, uh, just for those who, you know, probably don't know what that is, it is a all-black woman comedy sh- uh, series of showcases and shows. Uh, but basically, it's just a platform so that... Uh, there's, you know, there's more visibility of black women to kind of add to the diversity of comedy. It all started with a group of, of girls that, 
you know, we drank a little bit of Camille's wine, who Camille's our president. We, we named her the president, but... Yeah, we've yeah. had her on the podcast. Oh, okay. So, yeah. We've had her and we've had Moxie, so... Okay, cool. We're hitting all y'all up. That's what's up. But no, so I think it was just a conversation. Um, and I'm pretty sure somebody did more planning, but for me, it was just like a casual conversation. Like, what if, you know, we did this thing and then we ended up coming up with names and then it kind of just blew up. Our first uh, couple of shows last year was our first festival. This year we just finished. We're just finishing up our second. When we went to the first venue, it was like a, a laundromat slash bar that normally has about ten, twelve people in it at one time, and there were two hundred and fifty-seven people in the door. It was just crazy. It was just everybody was just super excited about a thing. Now, of course, we strategically placed it on Essence Fest weekend because uh, Essence Fest caters to kind of the black women culture whether it be hair or acting or music you know but they didn't have a comedy component and uh you know instead of waiting to get an essence deal we just did our own thing it's really amazing what y'all are doing yeah i'm 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 excited i'm still shocked at everything because um i've been to like all female not not black female but all female comedy conventions before and um it's just so empowering it's like if you come well i think it's with any comedy festival really if you go to a festival and you see another comic, and it's like you guys listen to each other's jokes, but you live cross-country. It's like you see that other comic again, and, you know, everything was cool the first time. It's just like, it just flows. I think it's better for the industry, really. And Jerry Seinfeld once said that. He was like, you know, if you're not a comics comic, you're not going to make it. Not going to make it. Like, if other comics don't like you, or if you're just, you know, crazy. I mean, yeah, you'll get booked, but your your escalator to the top won't really happen for you. And, and I think he's right. Yeah, I actually met someone who lives in Columbus, and I'm going up for the Midwest Queer Comedy Festival in August, and she's like, yeah, I'm on the festival, and I'll be there, and I was like, cool. See, amazingness, pure amazingness. I love it, and then for it to happen in a city like New Orleans, where people just love each other anyway, it's just it just enhances it, and I think it also gives out-of-town comics, you know, a taste of New Orleans, but also a platform for comedy, so it kind of meshes in, and it just makes for a better you know, experience. Where are you from? Oh, so, about me. What's your story? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I know that you, you're in Baltimore now. No, I actually or... live, I live in Maryland, but okay. it's like on the D.C. side of Maryland. Okay. So, like two, like two or three stoplights and I'm in D.C. But I'm originally from Miami. Grew up in a West Indian household. My mom's, you know, an immigrant from Jamaica. Um, and that was weird and different, especially considering my lifestyle. Grew up in a West Indian household, Miami in the 80s, a lot of, you know, drugs and Fast money, and you know, my mom was like, "Look, I didn't have much growing up, so this is the thing. You're not gonna, you know, be out in the streets looking for fast money. It doesn't last. You need to build stability, whatever, whatever." So I was always about the ambition of everything. Like, there's nothing that I do that I don't put work in, you know, because of that. And I didn't even understand where she was coming from to begin with, but it was just like it starts in the home. It starts in the home. So after I left um, Miami, how old I, were you? I was about 15 years old because because my mother's West Indian, she did not agree with my lifestyle or my whatever you want to call it at the time. There's so many terms for it, right? But uh, basically, she found out I, I had or I was seeing a girl. I was about 15, and she was like, "Yeah, this is not. We're not doing this." And I oh, was shit. just like, "Yeah, yeah." And I was just like, "Oh, you know, um, she, no." So so she asked me, "Was I gay?" Twice, and I was like, "Nope." 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then the third time, she was like, you can tell me. I'm your mother. And I was like, okay, yeah. She was like, yep, nope. Damn. I'm not doing that. And so she never put me out, but she was making life hard. And I was like, you know, to be, to, to be honest with you, I just need to, you know, kind of finish school, find my way. And that's what happened. I went to Job Corps in Atlanta. They sent plane tickets and they whisked me off to Job Corps. And so here's the thing. I thought it was pretty ironic and funny. The school had 400 students, 25 uh, uh, non-resident males, and then 375 female residents. So, you know, it was like a lot of girl play. <laughs> like, it was crazy. But Atlanta, um, you know, it, it, it was one of the first, coming from Miami, it was one of the first cities that was pro-black that I'd ever lived in, right? So, it was shocking. I mean, I grew up in an area where, you know, people could be Spanish, you know, Puerto Rican, African, Haitian, whatever the case may be, Jamaican. And uh, so, it was just very, like, diverse. But then, but then Atlanta's like one of these, either you're black or you're white cities, and I was just like, I can't, I don't understand what's happening here. Yeah, sometimes it's a culture shock in, like, the opposite way. And so, like, right. you know, because I come from Los Angeles, and I feel like it, Los Angeles is a pretty diverse place. And then I moved to New Orleans, and I feel like the diversity is different. Absolutely. But that's crazy. You're 15, and you're like, I'm going to go out on my own. Like, usually, oh, yeah. you know, a lot of times people end up back in the closet because of the fear of uh, family rejection or societal rejection. I, I felt like I couldn't go back in the closet. I mean, I had already cut my hair. I was like, you know what? Closet's not a place for me. No, <laughs> that, that's not. That's not really why. What, what really happened is I was just so much so concerned with not being a failure in life. So I was like, okay, well, gay or not, I'm gonna have to make it because mom is not with it. You know, either way, the way you can't go back. You can't be like, okay, I was just playing. I was yeah. just playing. I'm gonna go marry this guy. We're gonna have kids and you know, be Christians or whatever yeah. it is that people. All I think dreamed about is my wedding since <laughs> I was born. <laughs> exactly. So. When I went to Atlanta, though, it's like one of the, I want to say, black gay capitals of the world. Like, it's just gayness and blackness everywhere, right? They're, they're, it's so much so that they have two gay prides. One in, in uh, June, where what, what is, is nicknamed or deemed the white gay pride, because it's, you know, Pride Month. And then one that's in, like, Labor Day we, uh, weekends, you know, Labor Day in September. And that's, like, black pride. It's unofficial Pride for blacks. Like, it's just all things black, right? So, so that's weird. That was a weird thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just, I was just like, I don't, I don't understand. Like, isn't there supposed to be like a rainbow as far as color? Like, I thought that was our reference point. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's interesting to think about that. Because a lot of people like lump even just the gay community. Oh, this is a gay community. And it's like, there's so many different pieces of that. And there's so many different ways to express our gayness or the other parts of us. Because that's not all we are. Right. Um, but a lot of people, you know, don't, don't see that. Yeah, it's so wild. Um, so it was all good. I mean, I was I was okay with. You're all like that. 15 going out to Pride and stuff, or yeah, no, seriously. And this is the thing: I didn't realize not only is Atlanta like pro black or pro white or whatever side. Yeah, I don't know some some weird racial separation, but it's like there's there's so many things economically that is, that are happening. Like for instance, human sex trafficking is real. Like there are plenty. Of, that's why Atlanta has so many strip clubs because people. You know what I'm saying? We're involved in, like, sex trafficking at very young ages. You know what I'm saying? And so that's why they just kind of fall into adult entertainment because it's, like, the place of acceptance, you know? And so now, I mean, well, not now, but, you know, a few years after I, you know, became, like, a real adult and all that other stuff, I realized how much of a danger zone I really was in 
living in Atlanta. Like, I didn't have any family or anything. Yeah. I didn't go live with some uncle or aunt. Yeah, you were you know, on your own at yeah, a very on, young, exactly. age. And, like, folks were like... I mean, there was just a lot of things that I just had to learn quick, fast. And, you know, these are people who, like, again, I'm 15, 16, 17. And I, I left Atlanta when I was 18. So, for those years, you know, these are people you consider friends, family. But they're, they're not your friends or family. And they could be just as dangerous as anyone on the street. And... You know, you're sleeping on their floors, on their couches, or whatever the case may be. And then all these diseases out there and all these drugs. But yeah, you're trusting them. You're trusting them. And it's just, I mean, people's identities are getting stolen. I mean, it's just crazy. It was I, after, after leaving Atlanta, I was just like, I was probably in the trenches. And no one in my actual family would have even, even known what happened. You know? Was your mom still talking to you? or No, we did not talk. Uh, my mother didn't know I was in the military until I had already done two years of active duty. I did eight. But it wasn't until my second year of active duty service that I called her when I was on my way to Korea. And I was like, I'd probably just tell my mom I'm going to be 3,500 miles away. Yeah. And so I, I called her. Yeah. Dangerous situation. Yeah. yeah. I called her and I told her. And then she was like, oh, that's great. You know, she was like, are you, are you still gay? That was the question. That was the question. I was like, oh, God, Mom. So, yeah, I'm going to be in Korea. It doesn't work. That's not just, oh, I turned that switch off. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I kind of get where she was coming from. Me and my mom, we talked a lot about this later on in the years. But, basically, what she told me was because she had seen so much poverty and so much hate spewed towards, like, gay people that she just did not want it to be her daughter. But... That's that's how I got to um, Atlanta, and then I went, once I got into the military, I traveled the world, South Korea, um, and that's how I ended up in the D.C. area after I um, got out of active duty. So is Job Corps like pre-Army or pre... What no, branch of the military were you in? I was in the Army, but, okay. the, but Job Corps was more so just like finishing up high school, maybe get a trade. Military generally isn't the route that people go right after the military, I mean right after uh, Job Corps, but I felt like it would be a good... A good thing to do. Actually, how I ended up signing up for the Army is I had a roommate in Job Corps who was filthy. She was just filthy. And so one day I came home. So I went to Job Corps. I did my GED in like two weeks. And then did my trades and everything. And then Job Corps put me in college, actually. So I went to a community college. And so I was away from the Job Corps Center for like all day. And then I would come home at night. And, you know, you still have your same room or whatever. So I came home. And my roommate had like a full size overnight pad in the toilet. How are we gonna pick your passes? What are we gonna do? Yeah. And so I, I stormed down to the hallway and I said to my RA and I said, "This is ridiculous. Everything's filthy. What am I supposed to do?" And she was like, "I was like, I bet you if I was in the military, people would be nicer and cleaner here." And she was like, "What we'll column? Go in the military then." That's our answer. Like, it's like there's still this oversized situation <laughs> in the toilet. Yeah. We still we still got problems today. <laughs> exactly. And so I call 1-800-GO-ARMY because that's a free call from a payphone, which if you millennials don't know what a payphone is, <laughs> it's where you go put a quarter or 35 cent in to make a phone call. But 1-800 numbers are toll free. So that's what I did. And I called. It was, it was like 7 p.m. in the evening and this recruiter was still in the recruiting office and he was like, I'll be up tomorrow to, you know, see what you want to do or whatever. And so that's what happened. We took a practice ASVAB test on a picnic table at the back of the job corps. And he took me down to the MEP station, the military entry processing center, uh, station. And, you know, I uh, I missed very few questions on ASVAB. 
I was just like determined to get out of that situation. I, I I don't know why that triggered me. Like that one thing was just like, you know what? I'm done with this. <laughs> That's I'm your done line. With this. <laughs> That's your line. See, for me, it's like roaches. Like I can't I can't deal like with food. Like my ex used to eat in bed, and I would like, and then we get crumbs and get all these bugs. And I was like, why are you doing this? Stop <laughs> doing it. But she wouldn't stop doing it. And so now you're together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What was the military like? Like what was basic oh. training? Like I don't. I've. Oh no, really, I can like, I can break it down. To be honest with you. I feel like the military is the best thing that can happen to any young adult who's not sure about what they want to do in life. Like, if your parents are backing you and they're sending you to Ivy League schools or whatever the case may be, go for it. But if you're just like, you know what, I graduated high school and I'm not really sure what I want to do. Maybe I should go to community college. Maybe I should... Military. Because, for one, I mean, I'm not trying to do any... sponsor. They don't sponsor any of my shows or anything <laughs> like that. They're probably very upset that, you know, because I was in when they had Don't Act, Don't Tell. Yeah, I was going to ask so, you about that. <laughs> yeah, so they probably aren't even looking in this direction for, for endorsements. But to be honest with you, like I always say, kids or young people, they just need guidance. Like there's so much in the world. Now with the, with the internet added, it's just much more to deal with. You know, it's just all this information that you're supposed to process. So you're dealing with your hormones. You're dealing with, you know, what you want to do with your future. You're dealing with the friends that you're going to leave in the past, your parents, your family, whatever. And that's just normal. That's if you're, you, you, you're in a good, you know, home setting. But what about if there's something going on? You got this perverted uncle that keeps trying to touch you or, you know, everybody's living in poverty. You know what I'm saying? Like all of these things, they kind of tack on. So I think the military was the best thing that ever happened to me because you, you when you get... When when you're enlisted into the military, and I was Army, so you know I just want to speak in a general sense because all of the services are great, but basically it helps you put your thoughts in order. You know, why you should make your bed or be shining your boots, pressing your uniform or learning how to fire a weapon or, you know, it teaches you teamwork and team building and like, for instance, everyone wants to be successful, but what does that mean? I mean, if you're bagging groceries at the grocery store... Do you even have a perspective on how long it's going to take you to actually be successful? You see what I'm yeah. saying? So it's a it's a road to basic life guidelines. No, I get it because like I went to college at 18. I signed for a bunch of loans that I didn't understand how to pay, and I owe like six digit numbers of money to the federal government and to private loan companies that I had no idea what that meant. I didn't know what those numbers meant. No one sat down and gave me financial training. No one taught me how to live on my own. I knew not to put oversized pads in the toilet. Like yeah. I had basic <laughs> skill sets, but I didn't. Like, I always tell this story, like, growing up, when, when we made tuna in my household, like, tuna fish, we just put tuna and mayonnaise. And I got to college, and my roommate put, like, lemon juice and pepper and a hard-boiled egg, and I was like, oh, my God, you can do this? And she's just like, yes, you can. But, like, I didn't have that basic, not, like, I never thought about it. I just was like, well, this is the way that my mom did it, and this is the way that I do it, and there's no other ways to do it. Right. And, like, it just expands your horizons. But, yeah, as far as, like, any life decision, you don't know. You're 18. You don't. I know you're, like, legally an adult, but I think that's bullshit, and I think they should raise the age of being an adult to, like, I don't know, 35. Yeah, for sure, because you're definitely old enough to fire a weapon at someone in a foreign country, but you have no idea what you're doing with your life, which... You know, that's, that's, I would say that's the downside, you know, because I've seen very young people lose their lives because they, you know, signed up to be, you know, protectors of this country or the citizens of this country. Um, So that's the downside. But my recruiter did give me a great piece of advice um, when I was joining. And I think that your recruiter basically is the, the baseline of what should be happening 
if they're a bad person and they're just trying to get numbers, you know, they're going to put you in all of the stuff that, you, you know, that yeah. the army needs or the military needs, which is going to be those things that nobody wants to do, right? So my recruiter told me based off our, our um, pre-ASVAB test, um, he said to me, he said, listen, you're smart. You can do any job. Based off your score here, you can do any job. Because they do gauge it like that, too. Like, if you get, like, the basic passing score, they have only a set of jobs that you can, you only have a select few that you can get in. So there'll be things that where people don't need to be really trainable. It's like, look, we're going to need somebody to comb this grass. And it's going to have to be somebody who doesn't Someone's really. Someone's got to do it. Someone's got to do it, you know. And so, um, so he told me, he said, you have access to all the jobs. So pick a job that you think makes sense to you as far as what you want to be doing. Like if you if you want to be overseas fighting, like in harm's way at all times, there are certain jobs that you're going to have to be over there doing. If you're a tank mechanic, there's no tanks in the United States. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like we don't we don't keep them over here. If we do have them over here, they're just to be shipped over there. But that's where you're going to be. And so he was like other jobs, like you know cooks or whatever the case may be, they can put you anywhere. Not necessarily the nicest places, not the you know worst places, but you never know. He was like, but if you pick something like you know using more of your brain, you know digital technology or cybersecurity or military intelligence, whatever, these things they're not going to put you in the field. You know, there's going to be maybe you'll be over in that country, but you definitely won't be on the on the front lines. And I thought to myself, well, great, because now you know what I'm saying I can actually not have this fear. Of everything being taken away from me just by doing my job. So that's what I did. I went into a, the military intelligence branch. I worked in the intelligence community. Um, and I still do, but just not military. But but basically, um, I didn't do a whole lot of... I didn't do any fighting of the... you know. I did all the training. I, could, mm-hmm. I, could, I knew... I know what to do in a fight. <laughs> I know how to kill. I know, But I didn't do any of that stuff. And I you know got po- college paid for and... You know, life experiences. I mean, it's just... And that's, that's the thing. That's that's something that I don't think a lot of people realize just, you know, as citizens of, these, of, this, of this country. Um, we all see the working class, right? We see doctors, lawyers, you know, all that stuff. But there are... The military... Or I'm, not, not, I'm sorry, not the military. But the intelligence community and, like, all those, you know, Washington... There are programs and things that, we'll, you know, the common folk just don't see. And it's and it's and it's good because it keeps our country running, you know. Yeah. Um, we're bigger than Twitter. That's basically what I'll <laughs> say about that. Is we're bigger than Twitter. Well, that's the thing. Like we want to know everything, but then also like we can't know everything because then other people will know things that we don't want to know things. Exactly. Um, so, but I think that I think that just the military in general, because they always said, and it's true. When you're in the military, you're a soldier first, or a sailor first, or an airman first. So you get all those skills about, you know, carrying yourself properly, being, you know, on time at places, uh, you know, paying attention to detail, putting your life in order, saving money. I mean, I saved more money when I was in the military than I probably do now, and I made probably a fifth or a sixth of what I make now. So that's what I'm saying. Like, you just have to, it's just all about basic life skills. It puts your life in order. And I think that was a good thing. Um, and then once I got out of the military, I actually felt lost in the world. You when did you saying? like? When did you leave, and why did you leave? I got out of the military after eight years because I became fearful as I climbed the ranks that someone because um, we had the don't ask, don't tell policy, and uh, basically what that means is you don't tell your leadership that you're gay, 
they can't ask you. But there's also people who consider, you know, well, not consider, but there was also what was forming what we would call witch hunts, where people would be like, okay, I think Amanda's gay, and she's always around women. So I'm gonna see I'm gonna see them at a bar and take a picture, and then I'm gonna present it to leadership, and there's proof that they're gay. No one's seen seen you sleep with anyone. No one's, you know, talked to anybody. Got any inappropriate emails or nothing, and then you're kicked out. You're discharged, and it's other than honorable or dishonorable discharge. So it messes up your record, your your working history. Like if you if if you have a military record. Like being that you have been in the military and you go and apply for a job, like a any kind of civil servant job or government job, and they see under the, other than honorable or dishonorable discharge, you won't get that job. Simply because someone who's probably jealous because your girlfriend looked better than their girlfriend. <laughs> Isn't that how all her. these things start? I'm telling you. That's what I thought was crazy with Don't Ask, Don't Tell, because it's Don't Ask, Don't Tell, but then people are coming out left and right just outing people essentially for their own personal gain or... Yeah, I'm not I mean, really sure. It was a weird policy to to have. To be honest with you, I just I, I feel like um, I, I put it like this: a lot of times, people who are bullied in school end up in law enforcement or military because it gives you a power that you wouldn't have gotten any elsewhere. Yeah. Well, there's still people in those ranks who are it was that kid that they threw in a locker or a trash can who's like, oh, this person has confidence I never had, so I'm gonna ruin their lives. That's just basically how it happens. The same way with cops who are overly aggressive. It's like, oh, this person thinks that, you know, they can wear their pants sagging low, so I'm going to kick them in the back of the head and show him. You know what I'm saying? So that's that's basically what it is. So at my eight, well, a year before my eight-year mark, which is when you kind of open up to reenlistment um, and everybody's contacting you, all the reenlistment NCOs and things and uh I thought to myself, I said, well, if I signed up for another four or six or eight or whatever the case may be, I mean, I'm really good at my job, but what if somebody does a witch hunt? Then all that other, all those other years are trash. Yeah, it just all yeah. goes away like this. All goes away. And so uh, working in the field that I was in, I was like, I can make good money doing this, so I'm just going to get out. You know? When did you find out about Don't Ask, Don't Tell? Is that something that the recruiter tells you or basic training or like... The recruiter told me. Because that was one of the things I said to him. I mean, I had a basically a military-style haircut when I when I saw, first met the recruiter. And I said to him, I said, hey, look, I'm gay. What's going to happen to me? I don't understand this organization of military. Just tell me what's happening. He was like, look, you're smart. You seem, you seem ambitious. Just keep your business to yourself. And he didn't necessarily spell out Don't Ask, Don't Tell, mm-hmm. but it was basically like that, like, people aren't out, you know. And so, I saw plenty of women and men that I was like, oh, family, but you can't say anything to them about yeah. it. You know what I'm saying? Just give them just, that look. Yeah, well, not even, you know, because you kind of... Because people other, are watching. Yeah, exactly. And other gay people are a threat to your to your life, you know, because so, so say, for instance, you're from... Oklahoma City or something and I'm from Miami and you're you're some out male, you know what I'm saying, that has your, you know, ways of navigating through doing whatever you want to do, dating or whatever the case may be. And then here I am, you know, coming from a whole nother, you know, place and we're not friends really, we're not really family and so I'm come up to you and I say, Hey, what are you doing this weekend? It's Baltimore Gay Pride and he's like, Oh, did you just tell me? Did you just tell me? Because because I think you're gonna be a threat to my lifestyle, I'm gonna snitch on you. Mm-hmm. This way, you're out of the equation, less threats. Yeah. Right? So, that, I mean, they could be, it could be that way. And I always, you know, even when I was in the military, now this sucks, 
but I never gave anyone eye contact, any woman eye contact, because I didn't want someone saying, well, you know, while I was at work or when I was in the restroom, Shep was looking at me like this or that. Yeah. Totally looked down the whole time. Did that make you reconsider the military? Like, was that a, a big role in it, the don't ask, don't tell? Because I feel like from, I don't know, because I never went in the military, but I feel like for me, I would think I was okay with it for a time, or maybe I'd be like, okay, well, like, I want to do this thing, and there's all these great pieces to this, but this is a thing I don't believe in and I don't stand for, and, um, you know, I don't want to be part of that. Well, it probably would have deterred me. Had I not grown up, you know, and like I said, uh, my mom was poverty, you know, lived in poverty and I was, I'm black and, you know, we, we've gone through things. There's plenty of times where like even, even now, like you'll find that black people act different in certain settings because we've been conditioned to feel like even though we are considered inferior in our country, that's just in a, a general blanket statement, we are considered inferior in order to navigate through we have to do certain things. So when I when I was in the military, even though there was don't ask, don't tell, it's like gay people are inferior in this organization. So I'm just gonna do what I need to do. You know, put on whatever voice or pretend. If 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 they say, hey, there's a military ball, just not going. Because mm-hmm. I I know that I'm not gonna have a male date. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And there, you know what I'm saying? There's gonna be all these things. It's gonna be a. I've never gone to a military ball. Eight years in the military. For that very reason. But but I want to say this. On the flip side, the military does have an important mission. And I'll never forget what it's done for my life. And I am a patriot. And I, and I, and I do agree. I even have a joke, some jokes that I tell about this. I agree with the fact that they had don't ask, don't tell to a degree. Here's why. The military never said, don't be gay. They just said, don't talk about it. Don't tell people about it. No one can ask you about it. Because the overall mission is to create good soldiers. People that can go in and get the job done. Jobs that are unlike any other job. Yeah. Not the post office. You know, you need to be able to, you know, maybe jump out of this helicopter, understand, you know, noise and light discipline, you know, be a sniper, whatever the case may be. But if you're if you're if your brain or you know whatever is clouded by sexuality or is this soldier over here gay is he gonna touch me am I gonna get raped in this field that's that's taken away from the mission you know we just need to be able to do and I'm not saying all the missions are legitimate I'm just saying if you are a soldier you need to you know it's just it's the same I feel like I feel like the military and the and the police force are generally the same thing the only thing is the police force deals with the public and the military doesn't it's like if uh if you got a black cop and a white cop and the black cop or sorry the white cop is being extra mean to like maybe a black person that got pulled over the black cop can't just outright say hey man you're being racist you know what i'm saying or you, you're being abusive it's just like when we get back to this car i'm gonna tell him i think that was too much yeah. But the person is still affected, you know what I mean? So, yeah, absolutely. So it's, I feel it's the same way with with the don't ask, don't tell, or the, or gay people or whatever serving in the military. I'm so glad that they got rid of it, but I think it's the same thing. It's like, 
you know, what does sexuality matter? Where does this come into play during this mission? You and oftentimes I, I say that, like, when it's, you know, just when gay people are discriminated against, it's like, it's none of your fucking business. Like, yeah. I, at the end of the day, it is none of your business who I'm coming home to. Right. Or who Absolutely. I'm thinking about. Absolutely. And so... So what's it like to leave the military? I always wonder that because that's such a, like you said, it's such a, like a hyper-focused life where you, you know, you wake up at this time, you have like a lot of discipline and a lot of like a a structure and a regimen. And then eight years later, they're like, bye. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like, what the fuck do you do next? It's, well, I'll tell you one thing. It never leaves you. Like to this day, you know what I'm saying? I wake up at six o'clock in the morning and harass the hell out of my girlfriend because everybody's (laughs) chilling. Saturday mornings. Six o'clock, I'm like, oh, I'm awake. Up. Gonna go do things. Gonna be loud. You know what I'm saying? So uh, it never leaves you. But I will say, like, in the workforce, it helps a lot. Because there are things that no one has to tell you. Like, you feel guilty for sitting at your desk for 30 minutes doing nothing. While the rest of the office may not, you might be like, you know what? It's been 30 minutes. I haven't closed down any tickets. I'm going to do at least a couple BS tickets. Because... I'm, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm, I'm in this, I'm, I'm trained to continuously work or continuously uh, grow, which are, which are great things, yeah, that's you know, to add to your character, fantastic. but, but most people learn these things late in life or through some, some, some other sort of trauma. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, I had to take care of my, my sisters and brothers because my mom was on crack. So I know what it's like to work. You know what I'm saying? Like it can, it can come, come through that way. So. That's what it's like. I mean, generally, but the other thing is, if you run into a mil- another military person, you have to be prepared for whatever stories they want to tell you. Because, like, even if you don't want to be bothered today, it's like, you was in the Army? Yeah, I was in the Army. Matter of fact, when I was in the Army, I was like, oh, <laughs> here yeah. we go. You know, so, but, um, no, but it's it's, it's, it's a good thing. It, it all works out, and uh, you can use your civil service uh, years. I mean, you can use your military years, the civil service years. I, I've never really regretted the military. I just hated the fact that, like, sometimes I envy some of my friends. I'm 38 now. I was 18 when I joined. That's 20 years. Yeah. That means there's people in my peer group that are retiring, re- retiring with yeah. pensions and all that. I never got a chance to do all that because Don't Act, Don't Tell was hiding, hanging over my head, so... That's the only part of it. But what did you do? Did you stay in the D.C. area? Or? Yeah, I stayed in the D.C. area. Um, I worked uh, government IT. You know, just I'm a little nerd. <laughs> uh, but that brings me into how I ended up starting stand-up comedy. Because... That was my next question. You are ahead of <laughs> every time. You're like, I'm going to tell you this. I was like, that was my next question. You're so good. <laughs> That's funny. So my military transmi- transition was extra rough. It's that military training. Yeah, it, it was. It was. <laughs> like, I know where she's going next because I've been trained. <laughs> I'm telling you. Got to know where we're going. No, the transition was extra rough because now we got a couple things coupled with it, right? So I'm still not around my family. You know, I'm, I'm in a city that's not mine. Now I'm outside of the military and the camaraderie. So I'm basically alone dealing with whatever, whoever I was dating, whatever fly-by-night friends, right? And I, f- I feel that the D.C. area is pretty stressful because everyone judges you based off of what you do. Like, if you say you're a janitor, folks don't even want to drink a beer with you anymore. I've heard that it's, about D.C. where it's just, yeah. it's about your career. Because, like, in yeah. L.A., it's about who you know. And right. in D.C., it's about, like, your career or the potential for you to link them up with somebody who's going to take them higher. Exactly. It's like, that. that's generally the culture. Not everybody, but that's generally the culture. So, every time I would meet people, like when I started dating or whatever the case may be, 
People are like, well, what do you do and where do you live and what are you driving? How much do you make? And it's just like, I don't even know if I like you. Yeah, I don't know it's your like, last name. <laughs> exactly. That's a lot of information to give. And so I ended up almost being kind of disgruntled because now you got the descendant of an immigrant, black, female, gay, veteran, you know what I'm saying? All these things are, you know what I'm saying? I, like, I feel like nobody understands all of these things that's going on with me. You know what I'm saying? And then... All I get is, what do you make? How do you, you know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> yeah. so it's weird. So you're like, this is ripe for stand up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And what ended up happening, because I've been a jokester my whole life. Like my, my family will tell you, my sisters and brothers, all I do is crack jokes. But when you have to, you know, find somewhere to live, you kind of put that on the back burner. So I ended up buying a condo that was right behind a shopping center that had a comedy club in it. I had no idea. I'm not from, you know. I was living on post when I was in the military, and I'm not from the D.C. area. So in Maryland, bought this condo, and I went and got a haircut, and there were people giving out free tickets to this show, to this to these shows, and I just started showing up, and I was just like, man, those people get to express themselves, and they got problems just like me or any people I know, and I'm pretty sure other people have problems, you know, but 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 they're talking about it exactly, but I don't hear anything from the the butch perspective these people don't even know my story they have no idea some people that... don't know what butch is exactly you mm-hmm. know that's it's it's true but they just want to know what you make <laughs> exactly that's all that that's all that matters it's like they have no idea that i hate being called out when i'm trying to go to the restroom or stopped at the door or you know everybody's all of a sudden this civil servant that wants to and here's my thing like people have been cussed out People just can politely say it, like, hey, you're in the wrong bathroom, whatever. But then there are the people who put their hands on me. Those folks drive me through the wall. They're like, hey, you're not supposed to go in there. You know, some, (laughs) I don't know, some person that, you know, just feels like they should be monitoring bathroom traffic, you know Like, and they also are deciding, you know, but they're the ones misgendering, and they're the ones making the mistake, but they're just going to be louder and yell. Right, exactly. And so, I will say this, working in the environment that I work in, government's all about diversity. Federal, federal government's all about diversity. So, because there can be some really big lawsuits that come of it, you know? Yeah. Like, if someone tells me, hey, you're not allowed to go in that restroom, and I say, you know what? Maybe I don't have to pee that bad. So I'm going to go to the EO office <laughs> and tell them, you said I'm not allowed, you know what I'm saying, yeah. to, to pee in there. And then I'm going to call a lawyer who's going to, you know, workplace harassment, this whole thing. And, you know, so federal government is like, uh, <laughs> don't touch anybody. Don't mm-hmm. tell anybody where to go. You know, even if you make the mistake, you apologize profusely because it's on you. You were going to send you home. If, yeah, you know what I'm saying. Especially so, don't touch anybody. Exactly. So, uh, so it's all good. I mean, things work out. But you know, I'm not always at work when I have to pee. Yeah. Right? So, so, uh, so I, so I, I talk about you know I've, I've talked about that in my stand up. Once, you know, I started doing stand up. Like at first, a couple of the guys, like I'm talking about guys who've been on Def Jam and Comic View and all this stuff. You know, it's urban comedy. They're just like, no one's gonna find you funny. You're gay. Really? Yeah, that's what he said. You're gay. Nobody's going to find you funny. It's okay. gimmicky. It's not funny. It's gimmicky. And now it's just like, it's I don't... my fucking know. life. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so, I just kept going. I just kept going, doing different cities. And those were like the 2% of, of people that I met doing comedy, you know, 
whether it be fan or comic, uh, because outside of that, it's been nothing but love. Folks can see your real soul. And I think at some point I started affecting comics the way I was affected. Like hearing people tell their stories, hearing different perspectives made other people realize that we're all just as fucked up as everybody else. So what was your first set? Do you remember your first set? Oh yeah, it kind of sucked. <laughs> but, but it didn't suck in the unfunny way. It was funny, but the audience was not... Like, again, I, I came from a place of aggression, you know, and just, and just I got a huge chip on my shoulder. And so, like, around that time, um, the stock market was crashing, George W. Bush was in office. In the area I was living, I live in PG County, where there's a lot of $400,000 houses and all this stuff. And, you know, you would go, I, I assumed that people... I, like, I lived alone, and I made great money. So I assumed that people that lived on my block, either, you know, they were, it was married couples or, you know, what I, you know these people, were, you know, lived alone or whatever and made, their, and made their money. But what I discovered was these houses had huge basements that were like people weren't, weren't making their kids leave home. Oh, so, they just moved downstairs? Exactly. So a lot of folks I was meeting in the clubs, 30-year-olds, men, were living... At home. They just make it like, oh, it's like three, two, one, five and a half. Right. <laughs> it's my place. Exactly. <laughs> and so once I started doing stand-up, the bit became about, you know, everybody saying that the market is crashing and George W. Bush is his fault. But what if your parents didn't want to spend their golden years raising your old ass? <laughs> you know, but in this audience... Was a bunch of those people. They did not want to hear that. They did not want to hear that. You know what I'm saying? I thought it was funny. Because I'm like, here's the twist. Yeah. Maybe it's not the stock market. Maybe that's not why your mom's (laughs) got to go back to work after she's retired. Maybe it's your ass. Well, what got you to New Orleans? Oh. Did you come right from the D.C. area? You went to New Orleans? Yeah. Is there any other stops? No, but... uh... (laughs) It seems like such a different place, and it's not somewhere you seem to have been, you know. No, I, um... I had a uh, situation happen, a relationship situation. I actually got married to a woman that lived in New Orleans and uh, was from New Orleans. And that's why I moved. Like, I I started getting, like, I started feeling this aggression again where, you know, all this traffic and everything in D.C. and and the cost of living and everything. And I was just like, I could make money anywhere. I should just go ahead and, you know, move you know, we like each other a lot, so mm-hmm. we got married, and then I just, I was like, I can do it, and I moved, and the relationship didn't work out, but the fact that I moved to New Orleans was everything my soul needed, like, it was crazy. That's exactly how I got here, yeah. and I'm still here 10 years later, <laughs> I'm so. telling you. Yeah, I just, like, it doesn't, there's no other city like it, and once you're there, and you and you see why, like, like, my first girlfriend lived here, and I moved here, and she's just like, I'm never leaving, and, I, and at first, I was like... Why? You can live anywhere. Like, there's a whole world out there. Live there. And then I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's what happened. Um, I mean, I, I I don't want to say... I know it's probably sounded like I was saying anything b- bad about her. I wasn't. No. Just didn't work out. Things we, don't work out. I mean, yeah. we're not all in our first relationships right now. So. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, but the city has just... I've never experienced um, this kind of loving culture, folks. Even... Like, I have... I actually have a joke about that. Like... I didn't even realize that someone standing fairly close to me in a bar was being robbed because the person that was robbing her was so polite. 
<laughs> like, he was so polite. I was just like, oh, her boyfriend's. He just wants to hold her purse. Yeah. When he was really stealing her purse. Shit. Yeah, it was crazy. Like, like I, I saw the whole thing, officer. <laughs> no, I didn't do anything. <laughs> just being polite. Exactly. I don't know. It's it's a city that, like I said, I think it fixed my soul. I think there was a... So now, so now that I've moved back to the D.C. area, like, New Orleans is still in my soul. Yeah, like, like you're back here all the time. Yeah. It's like, you can't kick it. <laughs> For sure. And I'm not going to. I, I'm going to visit this place and be, you know, whatever, be a part of this culture for the rest of my life but I took with me the virtues and values that I learned while I was here like there's never really a reason to stress I was like there's, we have virtues in yeah, New yeah, Orleans. for sure Get out. for sure even like people that you can see that their economic or living situation is messed up they're smiling and dancing and drinking like everybody else like yeah you know like if I mean it's just nothing to be self-conscious about like those might be the clothes you wear every day but there's a second line, you know, this Sunday that everybody's going to be at and you can let loose like everyone else. And so I think that that, that uh, you know, I think there was a purpose. That, that was the whole purpose of that transition happening in my life. I mean, because now, you know what I'm saying, I could be sitting in traffic or, you know, whatever could be happening in my life. And I'm just like, eh, whatever. Yeah, it definitely, like, your whole life gets de-stressed, and you realize, like, what am I going to worry about? You know, don't sweat the small stuff, as they they say, Um, but it's true. It's true. Yeah, for sure, Um, and then the thing is, I think what's even, what even more so sold me on that idea is, like, again, like I said, there are people who are born and raised in New Orleans who some of the most harsh political corruption has shaped them and their children's lives, and houses have floated away. And our overall, our government did not take care of people. And these same people will give you food off of their plate. Mm-hmm. They will cook for you. They will give you their absolute last. Like, look, I got $8. Po' boys are 3 or $4. I can give you that, and then we can share a drink. That's the culture. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, nowhere else in the world... Are people gonna be like eight eight dollars? And you want something from me? I know. You know what I'm <laughs> Keep walking. Exactly. So that's it. I mean, it's just it's just that's that's the love of it. I can't you can't kick it. Once you've seen it, you can't kick it. It's like a born again Christian. You know what I'm saying? Like whatever made you break down and cry and catch the Holy Ghost. Once you felt it, you can't really go back. Like, kind of is. I, it's like a spirit that gets in you and yeah, that you can't shake. For real. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. And this time has gone by so quickly. It like, has. I just can't believe it. I'm so happy you were able to do the podcast. Shep, tell everyone where they can find you. Oh, okay. Promote well, um, the fuck out of yourself. Exactly. On uh, Twitter, I'm Shep Kelly Comedy. Same as IG. Uh, Facebook, I'm just Shep Kelly. I have a fan page as well. Just because like, if, I, if someone tries to friend me, and they don't have any friends. I inbox them and refer them to the fan page because I feel like that's how you get dick pics in your inbox. So <laughs> I try to. That's how I separate that's it. Fair. So. <laughs> exactly. So um, so that's it. I'm Shep Kelly on everything. Um, I think I'm pretty funny, and you know, follow me and see what you say. Yeah, see Shep's what you think. probably always doing shows. I'm sure like all over. So check it out. And uh, next time Shep's in New Orleans, we'll make sure to post it on our Facebook page so folks can can know about it and see you. So thanks so much, Shep. That'd be awesome. Thank you so much. Crazy shit. Bitches really do cuss me out when we out here drinking and shit, too. I want y'all to know that I might look hard on the outside, but I'm still a female. I'm still emotional. So if you hurt my feelings, I'm hurting yours. That's all I'm saying. If you hurt, 
my feelings, I'm hurting yours. I know I got a haircut that make you think I'm strong, but but if I fuck around and cry, bitch, I will windmill the shit out of you in that bathroom. You understand me? Just leave me alone. I'm trying to tell you, I just came to pee. That's all it is. I gotta get my mind right though when I go to work. Because I had to get a good job because ain't nobody feeding butch bitches. And I work around nothing but white people. And these motherfuckers is stupid, you understand me? White people at work, they be wanting to say something in the bathroom when they see me, but they don't want no EO violation. So they just be looking dumb as hell, like they on first 48 and they don't know if they should switch. You know what I mean? I be in that joint just laughing, looking in the mirror like this bitch scared as hell and won't say a goddamn thing. This shit is crazy. <laughs> like one time I went in the bathroom at work, right? And I don't know, cause I don't really think it's no white people in here, but maybe y'all know a white person y'all can ask this to. But why is it that white women always pull their panties all the way down to their ankles to pee? When then, when, I don't get it. You know what I'm saying? Like me, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm black, I'm from the hood, I like to stay prepared. Pan, panties, I ain't got no panties. I got the drawers with the dick holes in them. My briefs don't go past these knees. You understand that? But I walked in the bathroom one day and I looked at the bottom of the stall and there was a white woman because I could see her feet and her panty was all the way down to her ankles. And I didn't say shit because I was like, you know, I know I got a deep voice. If I say something, this bitch probably gonna, you know, freak out. So I ain't say shit. That was the plan. Until I walked past the bathroom sink and somebody that knew me was like, Good morning, how you doing, Chef? And I'm like, Hey, good morning, how you doing? You know, because it's my morning voice. It's my morning voice, you know what I'm saying? And sure enough, just like I thought, this bitch got scared, pulled her panties up midstream while she was still peeing. I said, That's gonna be funky by lunchtime. That's some good shit. She ain't gonna be able to go to them board meetings like she thought she was. She gotta get back on that beltway if she ain't got no extra pair of drawers. That's some, some crazy ass shit. All right, now, fellas, look, I know y'all in here, and I know what you're thinking, okay? You think because I look like a dude and I'm strong like this that, that I, you know, want to fight or whatever the fuck. You know what I'm saying? Because y'all real aggressive with me. When I when somebody tell y'all, oh, this is my girl, Chef, and y'all speak to me, y'all grab my motherfucking hand, pull me close, and throw your, show your fucking elbow on my goddamn chest. Stop that shit. It's tennis up here, nigga. Fuck y'all. Okay? Fuck y'all. Ain't nobody finna catch breast cancer saying what's up. That's some bullshit. Let you know right now. That's some bullshit. But I want you to know something, fellas. I don't hate you, okay? I got plenty of dude friends. We eight spoon coons. I don't want to fight. I don't have nothing against y'all. I don't, you know, because you got a penis. I got 13 in the armoire at home. I'm okay. Yeah. But what I'm saying is this, right? We need more of y'all around doing y'all dude shit. We need niggas to stand up for real and handle, like, be gentlemen. Yes. For real, man. Because I'm tired of doing dude shit because y'all ain't around. I'm tired of holding doors for bitches. I got somewhere to be, too. You know what I'm saying? When I get off the elevator at work, a bitch always try to get off the phone. Bitch, this my floor. Excuse me. I'm late, too. I get on an airplane the other day, right? Because I'm going out of town, right? And you know how it is. 
people always, you know, skinny little frail little women always want to bring these big ass bags and they're gonna put them in the overhead compartment. We the only ones on the aisle, me and this stupid bitch. That ain't fitting in there. It's heavy as fuck. It got bricks in it. You know what I'm saying? She gon' I don't know how we gonna get this up here. We? Bitch, I don't know you. Oh, you thought I was a nigga? No, this is my seat, bitch. I'm right here. I'm good. Thank you. Handle that shit yourself. Call a stewardess or a nigga. Not me. It's crazy. And I told y'all earlier that these dudes were looking at me trying to fuck too, right? But I'm gonna tell y'all right now. I, I don't want to fuck no fight. So I'm telling you right now. If a nigga try to hit me tonight, it's already, it's real talk. My cell phone right there because it's recording, but normally I keep it in my pocket with the nine and the one pressed already. If you try to hit me, nigga, I'm pressing the other one. I'm calling the Prince George's County Police. I want to fill out a full report. I'm snitching like I'm on first 48. And I'm going to get a court date. And I'm going to show up to, to my court date. I'm going to show up to my court date. Now, I might get there in a the sundress. Because I want to win my goddamn case. But I'm going to be that nigga. I'm going to be in that bitch looking like Green Rains on Holiday Heart. But I'm going to be in that nigga. So don't do it. Don't do it to yourself. Don't do it to yourself. Don't hit me. Or try to hit me. Don't make me feel threatened, bitch. I will turn into a frail white woman in 30 seconds. And, and don't come out the closet on me neither. Because the nigga came out the closet on me the other day. And I wasn't ready. People think because I'm gay that I'm gay friendly. No, bitch. I just, I just like hoes. That's it. I don't know nothing about these rights and rainbows. I'm gay, but I ain't really gay gay. You know what I mean? Nigga came out the closet on me the other day. I was doing a comedy show. And after the show, you know what I'm saying, pretty much like they're going to do here tonight, a club started. You know what I'm saying? Niggas turned on the music. Everybody dancing. Everybody good. And I'm chilling, you know what I'm saying? Because I don't really like to get too close to people because I don't know how they feel, you know what I'm saying, about certain shit in life. But I seen a nigga dancing on the floor. He was dancing like Lil Wayne. I mean, Waka Flocka, you know, hard like that, like thug-dot music. It wasn't no hand-dancing fancy shit. It was real hard drug-dealing trap music. You know what I'm saying? It scared the shit out of me when I seen him catch eye contact with me. You know what I'm saying? Because I was like, maybe he think I like his sister or his girl or somebody in here. And I ain't trying to fight nobody. Listen, this is fluffy. Ain't nothing in here hard. You hit me, nigga. I'm going to be bruised on contact. You know what I'm saying? I'm just letting you know. So when the nigga came up to me, he was like, your name's Shep, right? I mean, hard like that. Your name's Shep. I was like, yeah? Why? My voice cracked and everything. I said, yeah, my name's Shep. He was like, I love your show. I think you're, I think you're courageous. You know, for getting up there, doing your thing the way you do. You ain't scared. I was like, cool, man. He was like, I want to buy you a shot. I was like, all right. Let's do it. Bought me a shot. And he was like, we're going to toast to keeping it real. Boom. Took the shot. Everything was good. He was like, let's take another one. I was like, all right, let's do it. He was like, this will be to me keeping it real. I was like, all right. Boom. Took the shot. Everything was straight. He said, let's do it again. I said, hold on, nigga. Are you trying to fuck? Because I got to make sure. You know, let's try to get you drunk. I just want you to know, sir, that I'm going to stay sober enough to stay gay. I just want you to know that. You know what I'm saying? He's like, no, 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 no. It ain't that. It's just the thing is, it's something about a dick I just love sucking. Mm. I said, excuse me? 
He said, yeah, you know, everybody don't know about my business, but it's just something about a dick. I just love sucking them. I said, bartender, can I pay for my shit? Because this nigga's gay. I don't know. I don't know how this shit happened. I thought we were on a good road. You know what I'm saying? Fucked around and came out the closet on me. Now, I know I was talking about court and court cases earlier. And I ain't really got no record. I say really because it's a little blemish on there. But before I start getting into my story, I just want to know who here to keep it real. That's, that's what I'm talking about. I know we laughing, but okay. Now, all y'all people that clap, I want honest answers when I ask y'all this shit right here. Anybody in here ever been to Central Booking? Okay, because I thought you was gonna lie, nigga. I knew you was the one, but I thought you was gonna lie. Good. Now, now I feel comfortable about telling my shit. Now, I don't know. Uh, who said that first? Who said that? I just want to know who said it first. Okay, I just want to make sure one is lady right here. Nigga, none of your goddamn business. Okay, so, no, it was Maryland. It was Maryland. I went to Baltimore, went to the strip club, got fucked up with my, um, with my army buddies. I was in the army at the time, as you can tell, these big-ass shoulders, push-ups all day. Um, so, we got fucked up, and somehow I ended up in the back of a squad car. You know, police car. And I was nervous as shit because I had never been locked up before. I had all kind of questions. I said, Lord, what am I going to do when I get in this jail? Because I'm, I'm, I'm really terrified. I'm like, is they going to rape me? Are they going to beat me up? You know, I don't know what jail life be about. I listen to a lot of rap, but I ain't really moved no birds or nothing. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm nervous. So the police, he, you know, he up there acting all cocky and shit. And then I realized, you know what I'm saying? When I caught eye contact with myself in that rearview mirror, I said, you know what? Fuck jail. I'm ready to go to jail. You know why? Cause I am Big Bertha. The fuck they gonna do to me? I look strong enough to beat every bitch in that motherfucker. Cause you know what? I'm ready to go to jail. Take me to jail, officer. Fuck the police. That's what I said. Until we got to the jail. We pulled around to the male side of Central Booking. Cause he didn't know I was a female. And I seen all them niggas hooping and hollering, beating on the glass. Who out there? Not me, nigga. Uh, officer, can I talk to you for a minute? And he tell you something. He was like, no, no, fuck the police, remember? I was like, okay, can I, can I, I need to talk to you. He was like, what is it? I said, I'm a female. You can't put me in there. He said, what? I said, please do not throw me in there with all them niggas. I'm going to be fucked all night. I'm sorry. I'll sign the papers. Please, just do not put me in there. Hey, y'all, it's my time, right? And I gotta go. But before I go, I just want to tell y'all that I want to dedicate this show to, uh, I don't know if y'all remember uh, Tupac and the Outlaws. Y'all remember that group? Yeah. Uh, there's a guy that rapped on the Outlaws. His name was Fatal. Very good friend of mine. He died today. So I dedicate that show to him. This show to him. You know what I'm saying? And, um, Y'all be safe out there. Life is short. I'm Chef Kelly. Thank you to our guest, Shep Kelly, for sharing her world with you. Special thanks to Jessa Fallon and Ryan Golub for your help editing and producing the show. And thanks to all our friends and supporters out there. You can catch Greetings from Queer Mountain, the queer storytelling show, live in New Orleans, New York, and Austin, and coming soon to San Francisco. Check out our Facebook page for more information. Thank you. Hey. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.